Hi, everyone, and welcome to our third, I think, installment of our podcast. That still doesn't have a name, so please help us with that. Today, we're going to be talking about Alsace generally, and um, one of the new producers that we're working with to give y'all an overview about where these wines come from, what that history looks like, who these people are, and why we love them. Yeah, and I'm really excited for this one because I really like these uh, kind of crisp, high acid white uh, wines generally, and Alsace is really well known kind of primarily for, for making those types of wines. Yeah, Nick's been desperate to get a few more Rieslings into this portfolio, and we definitely yeah. scored with not only that, but several other different types of crisp whites that were, and some crazy oranges that we're really excited to share with y'all. Exactly. So let's go ahead and get into the uh, history of Alsace. All right, so Alsace is a really interesting wine region, and I think we said the same thing about the Beaujolais, but there's another great podcast from Guild Somme that goes into um, a lot of depth about Alsace, so I'd recommend that if you guys want to spend quite a bit of time learning about it. But the very general overview is that Alsace is um, up and basically right next to Germany, and so over the last, whatever, hundreds of years, it's gone back and forth from being French and German. So the way that the wine industry started there is the, you know, wines on the Rhine in Germany are also famous for things like Rieslings, um, Sylvaners, etc. And uh, you see the same thing in Alsace. The interesting thing about the history of these wines is that for a long time, Alsace was actually known to be the non-sweet, like the dry wine region, and Germany was known for having sweet wines. Today, we find that in both areas, you find sweet and non-sweet wines there, um, but that is something that is a bit interesting that it used to be that way. Yeah, I think it's getting a little bit more popular in Alsace to kind of uh, be making sweet wines, and typically you do that by doing things like harvesting later. Um, yeah, they call it lower Vendage Tardif, late yeah, harvest. Exactly. And those are getting a little bit more popular. And a couple of the ones that we're bringing definitely have a little bit of residual sugar that actually make them really nice and kind of fun and different. Um, and one thing we'll come back to in a moment, but that is also really fun about Alsace is they have this grape festival every year where they elect a wine queen. And uh, they, to quote them, they basically, under the watch of the wine god Bacchus, a ball is organized after the vote to celebrate the new queen. And that's the only region in France I've heard that does that. So you can imagine, as of all the places that we're bringing in wine from, this is definitely the most prestigious that we've had. For sure. Um, and natural winemaking generally is kind of pretty common. Um, you know, the weather conditions do work for it. Um, you know, it's typically really hard to make natural wine um, in a uh, climate that's not ideal for dry farming, so not like you know, watering crops or whatever, or anything that's super wet is typically really tip, uh, difficult to make um, natural wine with. And the climate there is pretty ideal. So there is a fairly decent amount of natural winemaking uh, going on already and some pretty big names there too. Yeah, Christian Benner is a big one. Pierre Frick is also has some amazing wines. Um, and one more thing to mention before we go into Envol itself, uh, there are four noble grapes in Alsace. So there's back to this whole a little bit... Uh, more fancy region. They are Riesling, Gewurztraminer, Pinot Gris, and Muscat. Um, you also see a lot of Auxerrois, Sylvaner, Pinot Blanc, and Pinot Noir. You'll hear us talking about them a lot. But those are technically the four noble grapes, and those are the ones that you can use to make um, designated wines like uh, Grand Cru. So we uh, went to go see Envol um, just outside of kind of one of the main towns in Alsace called Colmar. 
um, on a really perfect day because they happen to be doing quite a bit of harvesting and uh, we got to kind of spend the day uh, hang out, seeing the winery, tasting the wines and kind of uh, not really being part of harvest, but seeing harvest in action. We didn't participate, sadly, maybe next year. Um, and to give you a bit of context about their story, so um, when we were talking about the Wine Queen earlier at that wine festival, that is actually how Raphael and Catherine met. So Domaine de Lonville is a uh, merging of two families that came together that used to sell their wines to a uh, co-op to be made, and they both decided you know, they weren't quite the expression that they would have liked from it. So Raphael left first, and then Catherine's parents also had um, vines that they were giving to this co-op. And when they tasted what Raphael made on his own, they decided, you know, we would like to do that too. Why don't we do this together? Exactly. Um, and thus, uh, Domaine de la Envol was born, which actually means um, to take flight, I believe, in French. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of the idea is that it's like these two families, two different, uh, you know, uh, winemakers kind of merging together and taking flight as one kind of new uh, a winery. And they uh, have only been doing this for, I think, two years at this point. So Raphael, I think, has been making his own wines for maybe a few more than that. But officially, Domaine de Lombol has only been around for two years. So we're really excited to be introducing him to the U.S. Exactly. We're going to be kind of the first people actually representing them. And we're really excited for that. One fun fact before we move on to a bit about their vines and the area is that... um. Uh, if you've heard of Christian Benner, which you might have if you are into natural wine, and Les Vins de Pirouette, um, it's basically like him and his, you know, like, not students, but a group of people that he works with on winemaking. Raphael is actually a part of that group. So every time you see a bottle of Les Vins de Pirouette, if it says de Raphael on it, that is the same Raphael that is from Domaine de L'Envol. Good fun fact. Thanks. All right, so the vines, we were able to see a few different plots where they were um, harvesting Gewurztraminer. And if you look on our blog, you can see some really nice photos. It was a fall day. Everything's starting to turn yellow. It's just gorgeous. And um, an interesting thing, similar to Beaujolais, is that because Alsace is so fancy, as we've mentioned, um, it's expensive to have land there. So they were basically, they'd have one row on a certain you know hillside, then we'd go to another row where they had on a different hillside and a different aspect and that's basically like a little game of them having these different plots and either deciding if they're going to be a uh, crew from that area if it's from a crew or if they're going to mix them all together and make it a uh, not like a, a ludi ludi in french basically means like from a certain place so some of them will just say riesling other ones will say riesling steinweg that means it's from the steinweg plot and that works out really well for us, too, because we do like to bring in a lot of different wines from a single producer. And when they have, you know, a number of different parcels um, with kind of different soil and weather, et cetera, uh, we end up getting a lot of different wines, even if it's the same grape, kind of like Holly mentioned, like that Riesling. Um, those two are crazy, crazy different. And it's really good for us to be able to kind of bring them both in. So that's a bit about their vines. They have, um, I'm not exactly sure how many uh hectares we'll put that in the blog but they have more than we normally have um in a producer they have a pretty substantial amount you know relative to aurelion petite or some of these others that <laughs> seven. are seven yeah making a seven that are making it up there aurelion seven sorry oh i don't know how much they have we'll find out and put yeah. it in there 
Um, so what was nice after we went and actually saw the vines was when we came back, they were already starting to put them into uh, the press and getting re- prepared for them to go into fermentation. So the Gewürztraminer was basically going into the press. When we got there, we were able to get some cool videos and um, uh, photos of that. And they were basically moving some wines around at that time. They have a lot of different types of vessels. In Alsace, the most historic are giant uh, wood barrels that don't have any oak on them like they're not going to impart any flavor but they're just giant oak barrels they also have um fiberglass they had i believe some concrete and they also had barriques little barriques yeah i definitely thought you were going to say that the nice thing about coming back was the lunch that we had yes you can say that that (laughs) so uh because it was really a full harvest day and when they harvest it's really kind of a family and friend affair right it's like uh catherine's grandfather or whatever plus um a number of other people whoa sorry um and thus kind of uh we got to participate in lunch which was what was it it was like a it was almost like a, like a pork it wasn't beef bourguignon but it was almost like a beef bourguignon i would say yeah it was like um there's a word for it different slaws with it so it was like heavy meat and then lighter sides basically yeah, it was really good. It's making me hungry right now. And then Catherine's mom came out with a giant plate for Norman the Wine Dog as well. So Norman the Wine Dog got to participate in Harvest Lunch as well, which was probably one of the most exciting things of his entire trip. For sure. Um, so yeah, so it was a really a really nice day and really kind of fun to get to see everybody and kind of see how you know they make it really fun and include everyone and make sure that everyone's kind of you know, well-fed and enjoying themselves while they're doing the work of uh, harvesting the grapes. Yeah, I think probably the average age of the people harvesting was in the 50s. late, late. 60s. I was going to say 60s to... 70s, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Raphael's uh, parents and, uh, yeah, Catherine's grandparents, I believe. So, um, all right, let's talk a bit about what we're bringing in. Cool. So we're bringing a lot. Yeah, they, we tried, we tasted through, I believe, 18 or 20 wines really just tons of different kinds and it was pretty difficult for us to dwindle it down to nine because there was a lot of great stuff to pick from so we basically tried to give the best representation of um, each of the styles that they had and not have a ton of overlap so that everyone's able to experience um, the different areas that they basically produce from yeah the sparklings uh, is what we started with and they're both um, two wines that we're actually really excited about not least because they're obviously not going to be subject to the uh 25% 25% import tariff like some of these Ooh, other ones. <laughs> no tax on these guys. Yay. So the first one is the uh, Cremant d'Alsace. And uh, Cremant d'Alsace is, is a really popular, uh, like, cheaper version of champagne right now across all types of wine. Um, Cremant d'Alsace and Cremant de Bourgogne, Cremant de Loire, etc. Basically, it's made exactly the same way as champagne is made. But champagne obviously has to be from champagne. So that's why they call it a Cremant. Yeah, really, really nice, kind of creamy, um, nice mouthfeel, small bubbles, really, really good. And I think is this we're bringing the most out of this one, right? Yeah, it's a, definitely the best price performer out of, I think, all the wines that we're bringing in from them besides one entry-level white. And um, it's a mix of Auxerrois, Pinot Gris, Riesling, and a little bit of Pinot Blanc. They uh, put it in a year before... Uh, sorry, they put it in a tank for a year before they bottle it. Um, so that's where some of that creaminess comes from, from that lees contact and the uh, riddling. So um, really yummy. That mouthfeel is exactly what I'm looking for when I have a sparkling wine like that. 
Exactly. And then the next one we're going to be doing is a Pinot Noir Pet Nat, um, which is pretty dark. Um, it's definitely not like a, it's like a dark red wine that is kind of similar to a Lambrusco almost if you've had that Italian um, sparkling wine. Yeah, it's quite dry. Um, you definitely get a decent amount of like tannin or something on the, on the mouthfeel that, um, you know, makes it pretty nice, light, low alcohol, um, just gone in a flash. Yeah, the uh, there's not a really easy way to translate the title, but basically ambuscade in French means like to ambush. And the uh, feeling behind this wine is that it's like a completely glue glue. Like you walk into the party, it ambushes you and it's like, hey, you know, I'm easy to drink. You're here to stay. Let's have some fun. That's basically what this pet nut says. And I agree. And it's gone. Yeah. You might need to order a few if you're going to bring it to a party. Exactly. And that's it for the sparkling. And after that, we'll kind of start moving into the whites with uh, Trait Union, which uh, is a really awesome kind of white blend that actually is what we ended up drinking with uh, Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah, we did. It's their only blended white that we're bringing in besides the Cremant. And it's a uh, mix of Silvaner, Riesling, a bit of Gewurztraminer. And it's a really nice um, with light, or sorry, with a tiny bit of residual sugar and um, balanced acidity for that. So it's perfect really for like a meal. I think it's it's good on its own. It's definitely glue-glue style, but the, the residual sugar in it and that acid really set it up for success when you ha- are pairing it with food. So it's our cheapest one that we're bringing in from them, and it's just like the one to go to for exactly what Nick just talked about, something like a Thanksgiving meal. Yeah, it's really fun. I, the The residual sugar in it for me is actually really fun. I'm kind of into the just tiny, tiny bits of residual sugar right now, and this is a really good example of something that um, can have that without you know being sweet and overpowering. Then we move on to the Rieslings, where we initially agreed we'd just do one, <laughs> and uh, we just couldn't. <laughs> we that, had yeah. to have two. Yeah, so the first one is um, kind of their entry-level Riesling. It's really clear. Like, it's um, it's uh, a lot more clear than Holly's taking a video, and it distracted me, so now well, If you guys could see Norman the Wine Dog right now while we're doing this, it's hilarious, so I had to take a quick video. Okay. Um, so, so yeah, so with their entry level reasoning is clear, um, lots of acid, um, less kind of on the nose for me than the other one, but still a really cool, um, acid bomb that is probably a better kind of food wine. Yeah. It's really easiest, I think, to talk about these reasonings together because they just are almost absolute opposites in a lot of ways so it's like the entry level Riesling comes from several different plots like we said doesn't have a designation um and the other one the Steinweg I believe they also um let it spend a bit more time like refining itself before they put it in the bottles so it's got (laughs) more gold um and it's really what you would rather I would rather drink that one by itself it could also go with something like Asian food but we had like a we duped it out between the two while eating some um, uh, Thai food that we ordered in, and it turned out that the entry-level Riesling was perfect for that, and the Steinweg is really just more of a, um, a uh, pensive wine, I would say. You want to sit there for and sure. contemplate it versus that Riesling is great with the food. Agreed. Um, and they're also doing some skin contact wines as well. Um, so the first one is a 
skin contact Sylvaner. Um, Sylvaner is not a very common grape, honestly. I don't know that I'd heard of it before. Um, also, is that because they only make it? There is it. Where they else make are it they in doing Germany Sylvaner? as well. Um, you'll find it in uh, where basically anyone that pretty much anywhere that they're growing Riesling, it's very likely that they'll grow Sylvaner as well. And if you're like me, when you first get started in wine, they they come in the same bottles. And if you really don't know what you're doing when you walk into the wine store, I definitely during my WSET courses accidentally went out and bought Sylvaner instead of Riesling and was trying to. Uh, like do my tasting and understand how Riesling was supposed to taste. And I was like, this just does not taste like what the book said. And then I looked at it later and I was like, I'm dumb. I just bought this because of the bottle shape and I thought it was Riesling. Um, so Sylvaner Oxarah is also very uncommon. Anyways, I'll speak to this one uh, because this one was my favorite uh, from the entire lineup. It is actually an experiment that they were doing. They don't have very many bottles. We bought most of them. And um, it's, I prefer uh, light, uh, and like slightly aromatic oranges. I, that's why I prefer like Egesta out of the Aldo Viola wines. And this one is exactly what I look for. It has, you know, some orange peel, some grapefruit. Um, if you've had Lavanda Pirouette Brutal, I would say it actually has a really similar flavor profile to that. And it's just delicious. I can't <laughs> say anything yeah. besides that. I just love it. Yeah. It's a, it's a really good one. Um, for sure. I personally am into one of their other skin contact ones, so I'll let Holly kind of leave it there. But this is a really, really good um, skin contact Sylvaner, which is also kind of like a cool different, you know, wine to be getting as well. Then the next one we are going to talk about is uh, their Gewürztraminer. It actually is a uh, Liudi as well. I think it's Lutzenberg. Lutzenberg is the uh, plot that it comes from. And uh, Gewürztraminer generally is a really polarizing grape, and we debated, we knew we needed to bring some in because Gewürztraminer is delicious, but it's just, it's a, what's the way to say it? Not unknown. It's a, it's not, people get it wrong. What's the expression for that? It's misunderstood. Oh, yeah. Um, Gewürztraminer, if you're trying to find, you know, a white wine to pair with your full meal, that is not where you want to go. You want to have something like a sparkling or that trait union. Gewürztraminer has, uh, a lot, a lot of aromatics to it. And it normally also contains more residual sugar. So it's perfect with things like foie gras or heavier things. I even put in here, <laughs> I, I haven't tried it yet, but I think it would be amazing with mango sticky rice, um, or something like a squash that already has a bit of sugar in it to complement it. So we brought in only a little bit of this Gewurz, and we're actually going to put it in the dessert section of the website because it does have 23 grams of residual sugar, and it is super delicious. You just need to be very specific about what you put it with. For sure, yeah. So 23 grams is a pretty decent amount. I mean, most of our wines have zero, and I bet, like, do we know what the RS is on, like, for example, Trade Union or something, like five? Yeah, I would I would assume it's, like, five or six, but yeah. I'll, we can find out. So... Really cool, kind of sweeter um, wine. If you're a fan of Gewurz Streamer, you should definitely check this one out. Um, after that, we'll go to the, the Pinot Gris. So Pinot Gris is a white wine grape, but it has kind of like a pinkish type um, hue. Um, I think we have some photos. That was what they were um, pressing the day that we were there. So you can kind of see on the website what it looks like. Um, but generally speaking, um, because this one's a skin contact Pinot Gris, it is really dark, like very, very dark. And it's also from a crew plot. So the uh, bottle's a little bit taller. It's a little bit more um, noble or regal looking. I hope we can even fit it into our boxes. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure it'll be fine. and um, 
again, like I said, I've I've been really kind of into the wines with a little bit of RS on them, and this one has that too. So it's acidic, it has the sugar, and it has a little bit of tannin from the skin contact that makes it really kind of a well-rounded, really interesting uh, wine for me. And if you're interested in more about skin contact, we have a kind of terrible first podcast just because I didn't have this nice setup about orange wine versus rosé and this is exactly one of those wines that isn't orange wine but that some people would even put as rosé on their menu just because that color is like almost more like a rosé basically than like an uh, orange wine yeah exactly and then the last one that we're bringing in is pinot noir um their entry-level pinot noir it is um like the perfect like when you're just thinking of, you know, like what does a traditional Pinot Noir that's crisp and light, medium bodied taste like, that's exactly what you get out of this one. Um, and that podcast I was mentioning before from Guildsom, they basically spend a lot of time talking about how it's really a shame that Pinot Noir is not a uh, noble grape in uh, Alsace because it's they're so great at making it and it's a perfect place to be growing it. So, um, for the val or for the price, these Pinot Noirs are great value from Alsace because they obviously don't have the name like Burgundy does, but they have so many, like the, the, uh, plots and the, uh, uh, profiles of the stones underneath that really give it a lot of the complexity that you would expect from like an entry level Burgundy. For sure. Yeah, it's a it's a really good one. Definitely worth checking out too. And I think it's the only red that we have, right? Yeah, besides the Ambuscade. Ambuscade would technically be a uh, rosé, even though it's so uh, red, just because uh, it uh, didn't really get a lot of that tannin off of it. They didn't, like they, they pressed it off a little bit quicker. Exactly. So uh, should we wrap it up there or do we have anything else? I think that's it. We went to Raw with them recently. We're really excited to be getting their wines in, and um, that's it. They're great people. If you ever are in Alsace, they're on the um, wine trail, so you can very easily drive by. Oh, they actually have a tasting room. That's another thing. that yeah. <laughs> Most of our people don't have tasting rooms, so they're large enough that they actually have a tasting room. You can go in. You can try all 20 wines if you would like if you ever decide to go to the region, and Alsace is a gorgeous place to take a vacation. So if you need somewhere to like take your mom on like a girl's trip or something, <laughs> I would highly recommend Alsace. It's beautiful. For sure. Or honestly, if you're like a World War II buff or anything like True. that, we did a little bit of hiking and kind of without realizing it stumbled, stumbled on some like, you know, World War II monuments, memorials, there's bunkers in the hills. There's all kinds of really cool stuff for uh, people to check out. And that's it. We hope you guys enjoyed it and we can't wait for you guys to try these wines. Thanks everyone. Bye. Bye.